But their big question, their million dollar question was, why are you different than say beach volleyball or other sports we can invest in? And then we said basically that our athletes are the greatest athletes on the face of the planet. And when the general sporting world gets to know that through proper promotion, this sport is going to grow tremendously from a spectator standpoint. That's Charles Darmo, the chairman of the Pro Triathletes Organization, the people behind the Collins Cup. And you're listening to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. Welcome to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionHydration.com. You can get 15% off your first order with the code OxygenAddict15. And you can personalize your hydration strategy today with electrolytes in different strengths that match how you sweat. We're also brought to you by WeAreTribe.co, natural sports nutrition. You can try a pack of six delicious 100% natural vegan energy and recovery products from Tribe for only £2. That's including delivery with the code OxygenAddict20. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. I hope you're all doing good. Are you well today? Have you been training hard? I hope so. We've got some great stuff coming your way today. I've managed to track down an interview with Charles Adamo, who is the chairman of the PTO, the organization that are responsible for bringing us the Collins Cup later this year. So I've got a cracking interview with him later on that's going to give us all the backgrounds on how the Collins Cup has finally come about, loads of information about how it's going to work, and a little bit of inside gossip as well about the athletes. So stay tuned for that. All right, but first, I want to say thank you to all of you who rocked up to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast Zwift Ride in conjunction with Try 24-7 last week. We had 85 riders turn up to do our ride on Wednesday evening. Um, we had one of our FTP builder sessions from the Team Oxygen Addict Workout Library. And uh, and it was really cool, actually. It was the first time in a while I've done one of these group workouts. Zwift is really clever in that it, if you've not used it in a group workout setting, it matches everybody's FTPs to each other. So if mine's 200 watts and yours is 400 watts, as long as we're riding at the same relative effort, relative to our own FTP, everyone stays together in the group. And it also does a clever job of keeping everyone together in a great big pack as well. So we had 85 people all working out hard on one of our pyramid workout sets, uh, which was a really good laugh. And we had a surprisingly fun amount of banter as well on the old text messaging in between reps. So so I'm hoping we're going to have more of those in the future. So here's my challenge for you. If you'd be interested in joining us for, uh, for either an evening ride or possibly even treadmill runs on Zwift, tweet us over at OATRIPodcast or over on Instagram or Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast on there. I'm going to be putting a few bits and bobs up this week. And if we can get enough people and get a feel for if people are into this, we're going to have ourselves some weekly workouts where you can firstly do some of the workouts from the Team Oxygen Addict Triathlon Workout Library and also do them with other people as well in a community of people even though you're at home on your own on the treadmill or on the on the turbo trainer. So hopefully you guys will be into that. All right. We're going to kick off by saying thanks very much to our sponsors, precisionhydration.com. Um, ties in nicely with a bit of zwifting there. As you guys will know, I suffer terribly from cramps when I'm on the turbo. And that ride was a great example of having precision hydration sorted out ahead of time. I've also just got off the turbo now and 
a whole bottle full of pH 1500 saw me all the way through the main set with no cramps at all. So that was really good because the last few times I've been on Zwift, I've been having hideous calf cramps. So I've really got my act together. got a whole bunch of new pH 1500s just come through. So thanks to pH for those. And um, yeah, I felt great on the bike today. So if you're suffering from cramps or you just want to take care of and make sure you're keeping your electrolyte balances in check, get over to precisionhydration.com. Remember, you can get 15% off your first purchase with the code OxygenAddict15. And uh, you can also take that online sweat test if you never have done before. That's some simple questions that will give you a good lead as to whether you're a particularly heavy or a particularly salty sweater. Because if you are, those standard electrolyte drinks are not going to be good enough for you. So get over there and check out precisionhydration.com. Right. News and results from this week. There's been no racing going on, but we have got racing coming up this weekend. We've got 70.3 Dubai kicking off early season. So I had a nosy over the pro start list here and it's very Brit heavy, which is interesting. We've got the rankings out. Adam Bowden's been given bib number one. Uh, Peter Heinrichs, bib number two. Phil Graves, bib number three. David McNamee, bib four. And then others in the top 10. We've got Matt Troutman. We've got Bart Arnault. We've got Ivan Rahn and we've got Ronnie Shieldnick. So renowned for being a fast course out in Dubai. It's going to be some fireworks going off there. And um, we all know Graves, he likes to lay it down on the bike in races like that. So I'm looking forward to seeing the kind of damage he'll cause everybody on, a, on an amazing bike course. There are 40, how many did they say? 41 male pros currently registered. There are 15 females. We've got Imogen Simmons, Helen Jenkins, Angela Nath, Anna Watkinson all racing. Helen Jenkins there is making her debut over the 70.3 distance. So I've been reading a couple of articles in uh, Try 24-7 about her. She's really excited to be coming back for her first races um, as as a mother, effectively. And um, yes, I'm really looking to see looking forward to see how she does over this distance because there's no question she's got the pedigree and uh, and it's an exciting challenge for her to step to that 70.3 distance so yeah keep your eyes over on that race this coming weekend right coach's couch this week i want to talk to you about a kind of a lead on from last week where we were talking about why a multi-sport approach to doing marathon is the way to go for the most of us and it led us onto a conversation in our office this week about the effect that biking has on your running and how getting really fit on the bike also has this knockover effect into getting you really fit on the run, even though you're not doing any hard running. And uh, my pal Andy has coined this phrase, the FTP halo, which I just love. It's this idea of there's, it's like a glowing ring around the fact that you're already doing lots of hard bike work and it really improves your aerobic fitness both for swimming and for running, but you certainly notice it specifically on the run. And so what I want you thinking about is this. If you're going to try and improve your run fitness by doing lots of hard run intervals, that's absolutely fine, particularly if you're from a running background or particularly if you are one of the younger athletes. But it does come with a slightly increased risk of injury. As we age, without doubt, there's a there's an ever-increasing risk of injury from running fast. And... What we're trying to do, really, I think the idea of longevity in the sport here is that the more we can keep you away from getting injury or keep you away from the risk of getting injuries, the better it is for everybody. And what we're seeing with the the guys and girls in our team is hard training on the bike twice a week 
and steady running has an incredibly beneficial effect on people's run fitness as well. Now, we're very early in the season. Not many of the athletes I coach have raced running races yet. But what we've been doing is uh, an eight-week 10K run test, really more than anything, just so people can make sure that their run zone paces are correct relative to their own fitness. Um, We had a a guy, David Naylor, in the team this week who said, my 10K TT results are in. My last run was 52.18, and today's result, nine weeks later, is 47.07. So that's only nine weeks later and it's an improvement of over five minutes. It's my second entry into our 10% club coming in at 10.2% faster. So happy days. My e-pace has improved from 10 minutes, 10 per mile down to nine minutes, 18 per mile. And that's a great example of someone who's done no hard running at all, but they've really focused on the bike training. It's had that massive beneficial knock-on effect. So if you're looking for a jump in your run fitness, and you're trying to balance everything out with triathlon, this is just a little reminder to you to say you don't have to do hard running all the time, especially if you are into middle age and you're trying to minimize those risks of injury. That hard bike training carries almost no injury risk whatsoever because there's no impact on you and it's got a massive beneficial effect on your running as well. So listen, if you are interested in getting some more structured triathlon training and coaching in, if you're interested in putting your foot in the waters of coaching and you've always been a little bit intimidated by it, uh, we've got a cracking offer just for you on at the moment. We were going to just have this offer on for January, but it's been really popular and we've managed to really cope nicely with the volume of people who've come in in January. So we're going to extend it into February as well. So if you want to come in and try a month's worth of coaching with us in Team Oxygen Addict, we'll set you up for that for a pound. There's no ongoing commitment. It's just come in, get a month's worth of coaching. I'll properly set you up just like any other member of Team Oxygen Addict. You'll get a training plan that's relative to you, relative to your background, relative to the goals that you've set yourself and the the races that you're doing. It'll be tailored to all those races and tailored to your current level of fitness and your background. So it's not just like a generic one size fits all plan. You're also going to get support from me in our private Facebook group and you're going to get coaching calls from me in our monthly group online coaching call where all our members come together and we have a bit of back and forth and everybody gets to chat to me and ask their training questions. So you get all of that coaching support and advice on how to tailor that plan even more to suit you. And you get to come and try that for a pound because we really decided, look, we want people to experience it and we don't want there to be any barrier to entry. And I'm aware that people often think, well, it's a big financial commitment. But we've also seen with loads of these people who've come in and taken this one month trial, it's often people who've considered coaching in the past, haven't quite been there yet. And they've thought, right, this is a no brainer. Effectively, it's, you know, it's as good as free, isn't it? Come in and give it a go. See if it suits you. I'm absolutely sure that it's will. And if you're, you know, if you're serious about improving your performance this year, I don't think there's a better bang for your buck than spending a pound on a month's worth of structured training. Um, and I'm pretty convinced we're going to be able to convince you to stick around and stay with us all the way through for the rest of your season as well. So come in and give it a go with uh, with no other commitment other than that. Just bring yourself and your attitude and a willingness to work really, really hard. I hope we can see you in there soon. Link for that offer is in the show notes or you can find it online at uh, on the Oxygen Addict website where the podcast show notes are or just go to team.oxygenaddict.com all right guys this week's interview is brought to you by charles darmo the chairman of the pro triathletes organization uh, the people behind the collins cup 
Charles Adamo, welcome to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. It's great to have you on, chairman of the PTO, the man behind the PTO and the Collins Cup, which we've all been hearing so much about recently. So I thought it's great to get the opportunity to get the story from the horse's mouth, as it were. So first up, how are you today? Yeah, Rob, fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, well, Obviously, there's there's been tons of stuff in the press. There's been tons of stuff on the internet recently about the Collins Cup. And, and our longtime listeners will know we had Lucy Charles on just before Christmas giving us a little teaser. We had Tim O'Donnell giving us a slightly bigger tease. But even off the air, the two of them wouldn't share any of the details with me. So I've been in the dark as much as anybody. Um, it's great to get you on. And the place I think I want to start with is really... Um, Looking back in the archives, we actually had you on the show a couple of years ago, right back in the early days of the formation of the PTO or the PTU as it was at the time. So give us an overview of the idea behind the formation of the Pro Triathletes organization, where that's come from and and how you've got to where you are today. Yeah, Rob, fantastic. Uh, I'd be happy to do that. I think for some of your older listeners, as Jerry Garcia might say, <laughs> this has been a long, long, strange trip. It's been... Uh, but, uh, I will correct you right away because I'm not the man behind anything. This is all about the athletes. This is their organization. They're the ones who created this, uh, and had a vision to kind of improve it. I would probably describe myself as, as a combination of cat herder and evangelist, <laughs> more like, uh, John the Baptist eating crickets in a desert, pointing out to the great athletes that uh, are really part of this sport. <clears throat> but I think where it seemed to have all started was a number of athletes got together exact in 215 actually uh and i'm going to name them because i think it's important uh it was jody swallow rachel joyce helen Fredrickson, murder carfee carfrey uh, meredith kessler maribeth ellis angela nace Sebastian keenley pete jacobs derek bach dylan Meneks, timothy o'donnell james cunema andrea dreis and scott de Filippis. and if you may recall they they tried they got together and, and formed what was the PTU with a goal of, hey, let's uh, let's just have a voice. Let's see if we can get together as professional athletes uh, and and have a voice in the sport. Uh, and I think what they discovered, it's really, really hard. I mean, these athletes are all over the world. They train and they race for modest livings. So it, it was hard for them to really get a lot of traction. Uh, so it seemed to fizzle out a bit. Uh, I had read about the PTU being formed, and at the time was doing triathlon very poorly, uh, but got to know a couple of professional triathletes. Uh, and I, I spoke to Lucy Gossage, and I said, Lucy, what's going on with this? Because uh, this seems like interesting. Uh, and so she introduced me to Rachel, uh, and then I started talking to Rachel and Tim and Marinda, and I was just giving them some general guidance from a business perspective, just saying, I think you guys want to go in a more organizational basis like the PGA golf tour or the ATP tennis or the LPGA where you're an aspirational organization. Yeah. You don't want to be kind of labeled with, with a union thing where you're just a grievance committee. You got a great audience, you achieve great results. So you should be aspirational and look to try to run your own events. So people can look up to the event and say, wow, these guys do great things. So that's where we spoke to the group. I remember flying around and meeting a lot of the people. Uh, it took a little time, so obviously people couldn't stay involved. 
but there was a small group who continued to stay involved. Uh, and then, uh, then we hit upon uh, the Collins Cup thought, uh, and we said, okay, let's 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 try to run with this because this could be really uh, a, a breakthrough in the way triathlon is broadcast. So that's how it kind of evolved from the beginning. So that you mentioned the Collins Cup there, and this has been floated for a couple of years now. So it seems like there's been possibly a couple of false starts with this, but now. I mean, the big announcement's out. The big money back is here in Michael Moritz and Crankstart Investments. So it's finally going to happen. What was what was the original story with the false starts that happened over the last couple of years? Yeah, so so once we got, uh, you know, the, the, the athletes who were volunteering their time and we agreed that, hey, let's try to do something and we came up with the Collins Cup concept, uh, then we went out to some of the larger sports agencies and we retained the Wasserman Group and they were great. Great. Uh, and they said, we love this idea. This is fantastic. Uh, and they said, we can do this. Uh, and we let them go on it. And they came back to us probably about six, eight months. And they said, this is harder than we thought. <laughs> should. It was good advice. It was fantastic. We really appreciated it. And they were, they were really very, very helpful. Uh, they, they said, you probably want to start with an investor group would, would help this get off the ground more quickly. Uh, by then we had kind of announced the Collins Cup and that anticipation that it would happen along those lines. So as you recall, we, you know, hardly a perfect organization. We, we backed off and said, okay, we're not going to do it right now. And then now we've been working behind the scenes, uh, trying to find the right partner to, uh, to kind of give life to the, the PTO and the athletes, uh, acting collectively. And the interesting thing is as we started this, but then we went pretty quiet, as you know, probably we, we try to work behind the scenes. We don't try to say lots of things that aren't going to happen. Uh, so we're working behind the scenes quite a bit. Uh, and we had lots of good conversations with lots of investment groups. Uh, and almost everybody, almost everybody was interested. They love the business model. They love the sport. They love the demographics. Uh, and then we would always take out the budget for what we wanted to pay the athletes. Uh, and the response was pretty universal. They said, we love this. But why are you paying the athletes so much? They'll do it for less. <laughs> uh, and and we said, that's the problem with the sport. I said, that's yeah. not the partner we want. And, you know, we're not casting aspersions here at all. But, you know, the Kona prize purse has not gone up in a decade, 10 years. Right. And uh, and for example, the tennis majors prize purse over that period has gone up 150 percent. Yeah. <clears throat> so there, you know, there was for us. We wanted to have a partner that saw the athletes as an asset, that when you invest in the asset, the sport grows, as opposed to an expense item, where you're just trying to keep that part of your expenses very low. So the, the interesting story is when we met with the Crankstart team, uh, we did the same pitch with them, uh, and they uh, we brought out the athlete budgets, and they didn't blink. They said, okay, but their big question, their million-dollar question was, why is your sport so special? Why are you different than, say, beach volleyball or other sports we can invest in? And then we said, basically, that our athletes are the greatest athletes on the face of the planet. And when the general sporting world gets to know that through proper promotion uh, and, and distribution, uh, this sport is going to grow tremendously from a spectator standpoint. And then... Then I took this. This is very funny because I took I took a picture 
of Chrissy Wellington's legs out. It's an artistic picture of her legs that, are, that goes, is around. And I said, these legs ran a 2.44 marathon after swimming 3.8 kilometers and biking 180 kilometers. And one of the guys in the room was a, a marathon runner. He run 30 or 40 marathons. And he said, that's impossible. <laughs> and I said, that's the point. Yeah. I said, that's the point. You think that's impossible. And all athletes do it. And when a general sporting community gets exposure to that, that's where you start to scale on an audience basis. And I also remember reading a while back when Alistair won his gold medal, uh, one of the gold medals. I remember reading a while back where there was a discussion with Mo Farah. Uh, and Mo Farah was equally jaw-dropping, saying, how can you run 10K so fast after doing that? So that's where... Uh, you know the Crankstar guys got it, and they said this this is great. We love this, uh, and then that's where they decided to do the investment, and then we were able to announce uh, uh, the Collins Cup, uh, and and the PTOs. You know, obviously part of it. Okay, so I've I've done my best over the last couple of episodes of the show to <laughs> explain in in my own sort of limited understanding how this is going to work, and and in a way how it's similar to the Ryder Cup in golf, for example. And I think what you've done is it's a completely different format of racing. And it's interesting that there's no reason that that format of golf should be any more or less interesting than the normal format, but it is. And what I'm fascinated to see is if if it translates as well over into the 70.3 distance racing in triathlon as it does into the Ryder Cup. So uh, I think we're pretty uh, comfortable that it will because these are professional athletes and there's a lot of ego involved and i'll tell you why it works in golf because golf and and uh triathlon are normally the same model where mm. it's the whole field and yep. the winner wins exactly right? yeah so what happens in the Ryder cup uh and the Ryder cup for a number of things to note first of all the players who play in the Ryder cup get paid nothing zero okay <laughs> uh that said they will tell you they feel the most pressure in any other tournament that they play is the Ryder Cup. Yeah. And the yeah, reason exactly. for the, and the reason for that is because there is a spotlight on you. It is just you against one other athlete or in our case two athletes, right? In their case it's a golfer. So if you're playing your match for Europe or the or USA, uh you your match you either win or lose. There's no finishing second or third or fourth or fifth. Right. So when you walk off the last uh, green, you're either the winner or the loser. And that is a lot of pressure. <laughs> so so <laughs> that is that is why it drives uh, the, the Ryder Cup and the passions and the patriotism and the crowds. It turns it turns golf into a blood sport, which is why it is so popular. Uh, it's it's by far the, the, the most popular tournament because uh, that's exactly what it does. And it's interesting. There was a I'm, I'm U.S. born, although I live in the U.K. There was a, a famous basketball coach in college in the United States called Bobby Knight. He coached the Indiana University team and they won lots of national championships. And they always asked him about when he was recruiting people, uh, what type of people does he recruit? And he said, I never recruit uh, kids who like to win because they're a dime a dozen i recruit kids who hate to lose hate to lose they'll do anything not to lose 
<clears throat> so that is where the kind of putting people head on head in a match of three can really drive it because you don't want to you don't want to lose to a, a, an individual person as opposed to you know finishing third on in a race. It's okay. Yeah. So I mean, the format to me, I'm imagining here we're going to have you know Lionel Sanders going against who knows Jan Frodeno going against Tim O'Donnell in in a head to head match. We know that the head-to-head format brings out the best in someone like Lionel. We know that someone like um, Jan Fredino, for example, is is often way out in front. It's going to be a different dynamic of racing, isn't it? That's the thing that fascinates me. When there's just the three of them out there, it's going to be completely different. And I wonder whether we're going to see different athletes sort of thriving under different amounts of pressure. Uh, well, that's exactly what it's designed to test. It's almost a little Darwinian uh, microscope as to who's going to do what. <laughs> I like uh, that. The and, Darwinian and microscope. Yeah, no, it's going to be interesting. because, And that's what the excitement is. Because as you have these, uh, two th- a couple things. Because as you have these uh, rage matches, and they go off 10 minutes apart. So you have a little walk on and each athlete shake hands. Uh, and then boom, they're in the water. Uh, and then 10 minutes later, it's match two. Uh, and 10 minutes later, it's match three. So from an overall excitement standpoint, you have 12 different matches to watch instead of one race, which if Danielle is way ahead, you know, what does the announcer talk about? Danielle is still moving her legs. Yeah. She's still, you know, there's not, not a lot to talk about. Here you have 12 different matches uh, to comment on. Uh, and then within the, and then the other interesting question, Rob, is going to be how the matches get set up. Because the night before, there's almost a, there's a draft is the way it works so that uh, the USA will announce their first athlete, and then Europe can decide who they want to put against that athlete. And ah, then right, the international okay. decide who they want to put against that athlete. And then it rotates. Europe nominates first. And I won't, I won't, I won't give it away yet, uh, but there, I mean, the day that we announced, uh, there were athletes contacting their captains and saying, I want to race against X. You give me them, and I will win. Nice. <laughs> so... Uh, that's already happening, and there's a little game theory that the captains can play, and we can talk about the captains because, as you know, they're, it's Chrissy and Norman and uh, Mark Allen, Karen Smyers, Craig Alexander, Aaron Baker, uh, Lisa Bentley, and Simon Whitfeld. Yeah. So there's a little game here about who they want to match against each other, and you have athletes saying, you give me this guy. I yeah. want them. So uh, it's, uh, it's got, that's, And that's the whole excitement about it, yeah. Okay, so one of the things that I'm, I'm interested in here is you're paying you're paying prize money essentially for the position that they qualify in. So you're gonna you're gonna rank the athletes in the lead up to this. And correct me if I'm wrong; it's based on the best three or four races in the two years leading up to it, with a, a sort of relative weighting of more recent races weight a little bit higher than correct. older races, and their ranking qualifying position is going to be done based on how fast their time is relative to the course. Is that correct? So it's kind of independent of independent of whether they win by a minute or 10 minutes. It's how well they do against the kind of Corinthian ideal of how fast a course should be in inverted commas. Correct. And, and that's a two-part question, so I'll answer both. So first, uh, athletes are getting paid based on their relative ranking for their PTO world rankings as a qualified athlete in the Collins Cup. And it's interesting because there's things going around that this is kind of an invitational and it couldn't be more wrong because you you have to spend a year, 18 months uh, qualifying, earning your points to qualify. Yeah. 
And it's very similar, as I mentioned, in the Ryder Cup uh, athletes, golfers spend a year trying to qualify uh, and they don't get paid anything to play in the Ryder Cup. Also, if you look at tennis, for example, uh, the Olympics in tennis, the professionals spend a whole year trying to qualify and they get points to do that. And when they go to the Olympics, they don't get paid anything. Now, the difference in tennis is that during that whole year when they're winning tournaments and otherwise qualifying, they get actually a lot of money winning those tournaments. Now, our athletes, sadly, unfortunately, the, the, the economics of the sport, uh, they don't get so much money for all the racing that they do. So the way this is structured is you've spent a whole year, you know, uh, working really hard and sweating to be ranked number five or number two or number three. And to qualify, we're using the Collins Cup as a mechanism to reward you for that uh, based on how hard you worked in your qualification. So uh, that, that's why the, the payment is structured uh, based on your qualification. It is earned and it is qualified. It's not an invitational at all. Now, the second thing, the qualifications, as you mentioned, our PTO world rankings, uh, we think are quite uh, innovative and clearly first of its kind. We worked with uh, Thorsten and I rating to develop them. And you're exactly right because the sport is so fragmented. There's races all over the place and some people show up uh, and the field is strong. Some people don't show up. The field is weak. Uh, how do you figure out who is the best athletes? And I don't think there isn't a system to determine who the best athlete is at all until ours has developed. I mean, the person who wins Kona is fantastic, but to be fair, that just tells you who's the best athlete in 85 degree temperature or 70% humidity in Hawaii. That's what it tells you, right? Uh, <clears throat> potentially. It's, it's, as if, it's as if tennis only had the French Open, right? Which uh, obviously Nadal wins, but Roger Federer doesn't. If, the, if, if, tennis, if uh, tennis only had the French Open, you probably wouldn't have heard of Roger Federer because that's just a, a conditions that don't suit him. Mm, so what we did is yeah. we, we developed a system where every race counts, uh, and we, through algorithms and working with Thorsten Tri Rating, have determined, as you say, Corinthian, this is the best time it should be for this course. Okay. okay. Uh, so, and then we measure based on what your time is, uh, and then you score points. Uh, so it doesn't matter if uh, right now, sometimes athletes signs up for races and they, they really ex- expect to do well. And all of a sudden, all the, a lot of people sign up for it and all of a sudden they finish fifth and, uh, they still had a great time. They're going to score a lot of points. Another time they go to a race uh, and the field might be weak and they win by a lot of uh, a long, a, a big distance, but it wasn't a very fast time. So the, uh, yeah. we've calculated the way to identify uh, the greatest triathletes over a whole year on, on lots of different courses. Yeah, I've been reading a lot about that. And we've, we've had Torsten on the show a few times over the years and, and his – I think he's got this very interesting method of sort of saying, right, you know, that the course conditions on the day seem to have affected this course by this amount. And I love the idea that you can you can kind of have an ideal time for a course, but then you can look at people's results on the day and almost sort of say, well, okay, on, you know, like this day in Texas, such and such a person went really fast, but everybody went really fast. And then on another day, mm-hmm. somebody might not have a particularly fast looking time on the surface of it, but might win a race by a huge amount over the competitors and be fast compared to the ideal conditions on the time. It's a way that athletes can get rewarded for kind of pushing themselves to their own individual limit, regardless of whether they're racing somebody head to head or not, isn't it? Correct. And that's what we do. We, we reward people based on their performance, you know. It's not based on how many Twitter followers you have or your YouTube channel. It's you got across the tape at a time 
time. And the conditions changing is very useful because, again, uh, it models a little bit of golf where a golf course might have an average uh, uh, course uh, of 70 but if it's really windy and rainy, then all of a sudden the average score is 76. So you, you measure it relative to what the conditions are. So you have an ideal time for the course going in. You kind of know what it is if it was standard day, but it could be extra windy. It could be really very good conditions. Uh, so there's an algorithm to adjust it so athletes aren't, uh, aren't uh, adversely affected if they happen to be racing a race where there are extra difficult conditions. Okay, I like this. And so how did you settle on the 70.3 distance as opposed to either the Olympic distance or the full iron distance? So I, th- I think right now uh, the full distance really wasn't, I mean, part of what the PTO is about, it's all athlete driven. Uh, you know, we announced our new board members. The, the PTO is all athlete oriented. So the health and safety and, 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 and injury conditions, uh, we always are uh, on the lookout to make sure our athletes are well treated. Uh, and obviously you can't do too many long distance courses. You just can't. It's just not physically possible or, or healthy for the athletes to do that. Uh, so we chose the half distance because we think that, you know, that's a, that's a good distance for uh, the athletes to be able to do in, in the middle of their, of their season. Uh, the Olympic, this is just non-drafting. Uh, so the Olympic distance is probably not suitable. The Olympic, we're not, while Olympic athletes can qualify for the Collins cup and they can be captain's picks, those specialties, if they do, uh, you know, the Olympic, uh, athletes have the ITU, they've got a bunch of other things. So this is right now more designed for, you know, the non-drafting athlete, uh, is, is the major focus right now. I like the idea that you could, or a team captain could could bring in an Olympic distance athlete as a wild card because it it kind of goes it goes back to the days sort of before the ITU drafting format where the best athletes were the best athletes across all distances. You know, when when Olympic distance was non drafting, you had Mark Allen winning them and you had Simon Lessing winning them, and then they would win races at half iron and full iron as well. So I do like the idea of them having a couple of wild card picks as well. So here's my question for you. Do you see that those team captains will have a big effect on the way that the the races play out on race day? Because I've read, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's going to be live live audio contact between the team captains and the athletes as they're racing. Is that correct? And that's correct. So yeah, it's going to be wow. fascinating. So first, there's a there's a debate between the captain and the team members as to who they want to match up against whom. Yeah. Uh, and as I mentioned, that, that debate's already happening very soon. Uh, uh, second, obviously, on the day uh, is correct. So that, I think this is what adds to why, from a broadcast perspective, uh, and this is clearly what the Crankstart team and, and Moritz are very interested in, is raising the bar on a broadcast perspective. Because it's been hard to broadcast. And before OTT, it was really hard. Uh, so we have a huge advantage. It's just based on time, on what is av- available to do. That said, it does require a, a, a fair bit of investment. Uh, but yes, so we're going to invest in a broadcast. So we want to, you know, we think we have a very sizable audience that is desperate for good content. So on on a broadcast perspective, during the bike and the run, athletes will be mic'd, uh, and all their data will be shown uh, not only to the audience but to all the captains. They will have the data, uh, and they will be able to speak to their athletes. Uh, and they could, you know, obviously people will be their own personalities. There will be some captains who might be harsh taskmasters and be yelling at an athlete trying to speed up their wattage or whatever. <laughs> uh, 
some trying to encourage it. Uh, so it's like any other coach on the sidelines, you know, whether it's Alex Ferguson or somebody, what kind of influence do they have during the match? Uh, it's, it's as, as their interrelationship. So we should point out as well on, on the, on the way point system works. So you have a match of three, right? So if you win your match, you get three points. If you're second, you get two points. If you're third, you get one point for your team. But on top of that, in order to, again, make it exciting so that if, if an athlete is three minutes ahead or three minutes and 30 seconds ahead, you might think it's over. But it's not because what happens is that there's a half a bonus point you can score for your team if you win by more than two minutes. And another half a bonus point if, if you win by more than four minutes and another if you win by more than six minutes. So now you have an athlete who might be five minutes and 50 seconds behind, right? And you've got your, your captain telling the leader saying, hey, if you get 10 more seconds in, we get another half a point. And then you got the, the captain who's, uh, you know, uh, has a third place athlete. He says, look, you cannot drop 10 more seconds. You just have to stay closer so that we don't lose a half a point. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's what kind of makes it the dynamic. It's just not over necessarily in the fact that someone is a little bit ahead. And how's this been? How's this been received by by the athletes? Because from a, a public point of view, um, it, I think you did a really good job of it. It was all over social media, all at one time. That first morning it came out, all of a sudden, there were literally dozens of athletes posting on their Instagram and their Twitter and their Facebook, the photograph of them with a PTO member and information about the Collins Cup, and it was a real, like, well coordinated media blitz. There must have been a huge amount of conversations has gone on in the background with all these people beforehand to sort of say, this is what we're going to do. How excited have people been about this idea of, you know, there's very, very significant prize money here just for being just for making it into the Collins Cup team, isn't there? Uh, yes, and I think that's right. And I think all along, this is what the, the PTO uh, uh, is a different organization from what's going on in triathlon before, because it is athlete driven. Okay, it's all about the athletes. Uh, so I think that is why it's different than, you know, a typical organizer who might be throwing uh, money up for a race and say, OK, this is going to be a big race. But uh, the athletes own uh, this and, and, and they manage uh, and it's all their organization. So that's why and that's what gives it the value. I mean, I think that's ultimately what that group that first uh, formed, which uh, the PTU, which we discussed earlier, uh, <clears throat> you know, their little seed. Uh, was exactly correct that if the athletes get together and 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 we're able to as a group uh, uh, coordinate, uh, then we can do great things for the sport. And now the PTO uh, is we hope uh, the athletes through the athletes are just a valued member of the triathlon community. Uh, we want to participate and help help the sport grow. Uh, and, and it's very similar. I mean, I think the famous saying is you know you never wash. Uh, your rental car, okay, <laughs> but uh, you'll always you'll always keep your own car clean, and, and that's why when the athletes have their own organization and they're uh, you know responsible for their own board members uh, in trying to help guide it, then it's just natural to have that type of uh, commitment, and we're really grateful that they decided to do this because it's a it's fantastic it's really fantastic to see uh, because I think sport. Uh, is going to benefit greatly by by them having a voice and for them contributing to the, the, all the stakeholders uh, in the sport. 
So you just announced, I think just recently, uh, more of the athlete board members coming on board. Um, I remember seeing Ali Brownlee's name there and Lionel Sanders. Who else have you appoint- appointed the athlete board? And uh, and what do they bring to it, essentially? So uh, what, what's happened to it was, it was Alistair, Lionel Sanders, Paul Finlay, and Sky Monish have been. Uh, now, they, they were elected to the board because, as I mentioned earlier, when the original group formed, it kind of fizzled out. Then there was this uh, leftover group of Rachel and Tim, Scott, Dylan, Meredith, Marinda, and Sarah Piano Piano, who have just kept the flame going, very busy, and our team was working behind the scenes. Uh, and now that we got this kind of organized, it was a little bit recognized that there, the board needed to have some newer members, and particularly for members who were near the top of, of the field, because the, the, the existing members who were kind of fanning the flame uh, weren't necessarily the highest ranked athletes, as it turned out. And sadly, part, part of my regrets at not having a got off the ground sooner what there are a lot of athletes who were at the top when they started but now you know time has moved on you know rachel's had two babies uh it's quite sad that she's not going to be able to participate in the collins cup you know four years ago she would have yeah uh, so it was recognized that okay well we need to have some more so there was uh they, they were elected to the board uh by uh, by the you know top 25 men and women uh and now their role is just like any other board uh they're part of you getting the direction, overall vision uh, of where the PTO should go. And we're going to be making more announcements. The Collins Cup is not the uh, last thing we'll be doing. Uh, we'll be making more announcements in the coming months about the additional things uh, and direction uh, of the PTO. Uh, now, that was the leading month of our next question. Is it going to be a one race event or are there potentially more more races and more events in the pipeline? Or are you going to keep those cards close to your chest? <laughs> so we have a vision where we want to hopefully see the sport grow. And we think that the professional base acting as a, as a collective group will uh, assist the whole community in doing that. And, and, while, and do, while doing that, obviously, uh, the whole community benefits. I mean, it's, it's one virtuous circle. Because if you look at other sports, you know, things like Wimbledon, like tennis has a few major events that galvanize the entire sports world, right? And they help obviously generate revenue uh, for the grassroots of the sport. Uh, but you do need, you know, these kind of iconic events uh, to, to galvanize everyone to help do that. So the PTO's vision is, is to have the Collins Cup, have a few more, uh, but then also do exactly like they do in golf and tennis, where the big events drive a fair bit of revenue, but then they invest it in developing tours. The PGA has a development tour as does tennis. Uh, so okay. you get to the grants roots. Yeah. So I get the sense that there's, there's more coming down the line here. There's, there's a big money, big announcement up front and reading between the lines of what you're saying here, there's, there's going to be much more coming. That's going to hopefully make, what's that phrase, make all boats, the, the tide floats all boats higher kind of thing. And everyone's ultimately going to benefit from it. Yes, and I, I think that's exactly right. That's exactly what the plan is. I mean, the PTO is now just, a, a, you know, a, hopefully a, a valued member of the triathlon community, but only one member. Uh, but we think that there's a, they think there's a unique opportunity uh, to to raise the profile of the sport based on giving the, the, the professionals uh, a, a, a higher uh, exposure. Uh, and that's exactly right. That's what, that's what raises uh, the whole sport up. Uh, you know, no one, no one watches the uh, 
uh, amateurs play tennis at Wimbledon, right? <laughs> but the, but the tennis, the sport of tennis, benefits very much by having Nadal play Federer in the finals, right? Uh, that that helps the whole sport. So uh, that's exactly right. We will we will be having other announcements and and uh, pretty soon. So we'll okay. keep you posted. Now, one thing I wanted to come back to. Let's circle back around to talking about the TK, uh, sorry, the TV coverage of this because obviously. Samarin is well established with uh, the Challenge Championship happening there. It's a, it's a very well respected race. Um, the venue itself is perfect for this kind of racing. One of the big challenges of watching middle and long distance triathlon on TV or internet coverage has always been, as you alluded to earlier on, when an athlete just gets followed for 10 or 15 minutes at one time by a single camera, the audience has got no idea what's going on in the background. They've got no idea how close or how far away another athlete is or where the movement is. Talk me through what your vision is for the TV coverage, how we're going to see it and what it's actually going to look like when it's on the screen. Okay. Uh, a, two, uh, a few points about the TV coverage. So uh, first we are, we are lucky uh, be able to do OTT, you know, in defense of, of, of uh, previous operators, you know, five, six years ago, very hard to get the coverage uh, distributed uh, from the actual coverage uh, perspective perspective itself uh there's a few things to note uh i visited only once i went there not 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 to participate just to watch it (laughs) it was a a couple years ago and uh i just uh, saw a lot of people saw the lead up to it then i actually flew back and and watched it on television it was the first time it was live on television it was live on nbc uh in the u.s uh and when i watched it uh, what they did is they had it live and then they for about an hour and then they went to streaming and then they came back to it in th- in the in between when they went to streaming they had nascar on uh, live on nbc and, and what you saw uh, was that uh, the nascar broadcast was probably 70 percent background stories history uh, and then 30 percent of actually what is going on so our goal a couple things uh, we have two unique uh, aspects which we'll talk about the racing but first of all we want the 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 viewer to know about our athletes i don't think people really ha- have a great understanding about some of the background stories the huge accomplishments so you know we'll have a lot of background stories that will be appearing uh during the broadcast and as I mentioned, when I when I first got involved in this, uh, I got to know Lucy Gossage, uh, and you know, I, she, she won, you know, I guess Ironman UK five times in a row. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but outside of the outside of the, outside of the community, really small community, no one knew much about her. She's a Cambridge trained cancer doctor. I mean, fantastic story. Uh, so our athletes, people like Lionel, people like Alistair, I mean, they, they, you know, uh, Daniela, they have great backgrounds, uh, and so. During the broadcast, you're going to learn about them. You know, we have there are going to be 36 athletes racing and eight eight captains, uh, some of the greatest in the world. So we're going to be broadcasting uh, their uh, stories. Then, from your this is the most important thing from your perspective. People don't really appreciate when you have these 12 race matches, right? So you have a lot of action uh, uh, on all the 12 matches going on uh, over time. So if you if you look at the start right so when you start uh the first match starts as you said it might be lionel Fredano and, and uh, o'donnell right they start so you all your cameras are on the start they shake hands and they start 10 minutes later you're filming the next start and the next team uh, next match or they're they're shaking 
shaking hands and they're yucking it up or whatever. And then they start. And then 10 minutes later, you've got the next start. So you, so you have all that start. Okay. That's two hours. Okay. Two hours of start because you got 12 matches, 10 minutes apart. Okay. Then when they come out of the ward, then, then at each point of the race, for example, uh, out on the bike course, there'll be a point where we'll have stands and there'll be TV cameras and there'll be TV screens. So if you're a fan watching it at that viewing point, uh, and obviously for a TV place person, normally if you're watching at a viewing point uh, after Yon or Daniela or some passage, yeah, it's kind of over, right? Uh, but here you have each match patching you. And it's going to take two hours for that all the matches to pass you. And every time you're uh, you're sitting there, when the next match is coming up, the stats are showing up, who's leading, what the points are for that match, and you're going to get to see them go by. And as is the TV audience, so when the TV audience is watching, uh, you know the, the 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 producer will be able to pick out what's happening that's important in which match or it's Chrissy talking to uh, Lucy Charles what's happening they'll cut to match three they'll say let's go to match three what's going on over here and the announcers will talk about it and they'll say okay well that's interesting let's go to match seven and they'll go to there so that's why you have this very potentially engaging uh, just like the Ryder Cup you have this very uh, engaging broadcast because the Ryder Cup will have 12 matches on a course but they'll be going from match to match to see what's happening yeah do you do you foresee the cameras following each of the athletes will you have cameras on motorbikes following it as it goes by or will it be mainly static cameras no 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 but they'll be following there'll be a number of cameras following uh, each match yeah uh so it's just, it's just not one so you got 12 matches i think uh i don't know the technical teams are going to work on it i'm pretty sure there's going to be uh two cameras for each two matches they got to go back and forth but those technical things are working out but they'll be and the other good thing is because we're at san marin uh, <clears throat> if you recall originally one of our we were going to try to do it at roth uh which is fantastic and, and felix and the whole team was super super helpful uh but at this point when we got the economics that we had we just needed to have exactly what you're saying so many more cameras and so much more impact infrastructure it just wasn't impossible given the, the the crowdedness of that race uh it's such a lovely lovely place so at san marin it's only our race uh so we'll have our 36 athletes will be the only one on the course during the collins cup and therefore we have the the real estate to have numerous uh, cameras both mobile and visual and helicopters Okay, so this all sounds it sounds brilliant. I can't wait to see it. I want to I want to close this off with a question for you here, Charles. You are American by birth and living in the UK. Who are you going to be ro- rooting for to win the Collins Cup? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a really really loaded question. I'll tell you why. <laughs> Isn't it just? Uh, I'm American. No, no, I'm American by birth. Uh, I'm married to a Canadian, uh, and I live in England. So I potentially could root for all three teams, uh, <laughs> but uh, I will be rooting for the best team to win. <laughs> That's all I can That's say. That's a very political answer. I like that. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, is there anything else you want to share with us? No, fantastic. I think I think we could probably just close by one of one of the joys I think of having the PTO be part of the triathlon community uh, is uh, this will be a success uh, when the whole community kind of rallies behind it a bit. And this is this virtuous circle. Uh, this is an opportunity, we think, for the whole community to say, hey, this is really going to be great for our sport. Uh, so tune in on May 30th because that's going to ultimately be the measure of how we're able to list the sport. Are we getting the kind of viewership that we think is out there and what we have been 
explaining to our investors and the general broadcast community and the, and the broadcasters saying they're out there. We have a we have a great community. They love this sport. They're desperate for good content. So uh, and then if ever anyone from the community just rallies around uh, and wants to, we would encourage them to watch because that is really what's going to, as you say, lift all boats. Fantastic. All right. Charles Adamo, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Rob. So triathlon is going to get its big, huge payday. We're going to get great televised action. We've got a format that is designed to appeal to people outside of the triathlon audience or the standard triathlon audience. Is this going to be the chance where triathlon can cross over into the mainstream? It's been very interesting this last week, seeing the number of articles that popped up in the mainstream press just off the back of the fact that they can say there's a $2 million prize pot involved. That's news in itself. And I think it's it's going to attract people. And I can remember back in the early days, Chris McCormack talking about how he remembers tuning in to watch somebody putting in golf, the first million dollar put, and people around the world went crazy for it. People are going to be interested in the fact that there's a lot of money on the table in this race, and that's going to attract more and more viewers into the sport, more interest into the sport. And hopefully that's going to be something that raises the profile of triathlon in general. So great that we're going to finally get to see that racing happening uh, at the end of May this year over in Samarin. So good stuff. I'm really looking uh, looking forward to seeing more about that. So next up, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors. We are tribe.co. So if you haven't tried these guys out yet, this is a fantastic solution for getting all of your sports nutrition needs. They've got energy products. They've got recovery products. They've got bars. They've got shakes. So get over there and check it out at wearetribe.co. Um, this week, I want to tell you a little bit about their recovery shakes. They've got a really great cocoa and sea, sh- sea salt. I can't even say it. Cocoa and sea salt protein shake. It's vegan protein blend. It's got pea protein and rice protein. So complete amino acid profile covered there. Made with coconut sugar, cocoa powder, natural flavorings, and sea salt and cinnamon. I had one of these after my hard turbines whiffed a couple of days ago and felt great afterwards. It tastes really good and I've been really super impressed with it. So yeah, get yourself over and check it out at wearetribe.co and you can get yourself six of any product you like for just two pounds, including delivery using the code oxygenaddict20. Okay, guys, well, that just about brings us to the end of the show this week. Thanks very much to our sponsors and discounts for you. Remember, you can get 15% off your first order at precisionhydration.com using the code OxygenAddict15. You can get six bars or recovery or energy products for £2 using the code OxygenAddict20 over at wearetribe.co. And if you are looking to have a home blood test done, you can use the code OxygenAddict50 excuse me for 50% off your first test over at thriver.co and remember if you're looking for triathlon coaching you can get your first month of coaching within team oxygen addict for just one pound at teamoxygenaddict.com all right there's links for all these in the show notes um, so you don't have to remember them and you can follow us on twitter at oa podcast and on instagram at oxygen addict triathlon podcast all right everybody until next week have a great safe training and racing week i'm coach rob wilby and you've been listening to the oxygen addict triathlon podcast 